Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Hi, I'm Mike Connell, and welcome back to the AAP Practice Life Podcast. Today, we're talking about a really hot topic, telemedicine. So I put out a call onto the AAP, one of the AAP Facebook groups, and I said, who's doing telemedicine in equine? Lots of people doing it in companion animal, but I was really pleased to get a really good response with our three guests here. So we're going to start east to west because we've got a really unique group of people here so we'll, we'll go furthest to the west and we got elizabeth herbert from adelaide plains equine clinic in australia welcome elizabeth thank you and then we have erica latcher from spring hill equine veterinary clinic down in florida welcome erica hi happy to be here and then we have chris navis uh, from university of penn uh, veterinary college so welcome chris thank you so telemedicine. So I've been talking to a lot of companion animal vets and they are loving, well, the ones I've been talking to, loving telemedicine and just absolutely surprised. So let's let's go in order and just uh, let's talk. So we'll start in the same order as our introduction. So Elizabeth, maybe you just share how you're using telemedicine and then we'll start getting into the details of things. I um, have been using telemedicine for many, many years, but I couldn't charge for it because it was not a legal client-patient uh, relationship So uh, with our state board. So I you know, would talk to people. I live on the edge of civilization, as I like to say. I have many clients who live kind of on uh, cattle or sheep stations. Some are interstate. Some are 12, eight hours away. And bringing a horse to our clinic is, it's a big effort. And so, you know, we often discussed what the problems were and whether it was worth bringing them or not. I never charged for anything and they would send me pictures and, and different things. And even, even some remote veterinarians that were living and doing mixed practice that didn't have expert equine, not that I'm an expert, but an expert equine uh, experiences you know, would question what we were doing. And so, and they were doing it on behalf of their client. Of course, I wasn't getting paid for that either. And I don't mind doing that and I love doing it. But during this pandemic, our board kind of somewhat said, yeah, it's okay to do it. And so we instituted it right away. And uh, we found that it was well accepted, well accepted. And now I could charge. So we have a fee and we set it up. It's not, we don't have a a program or anything for it. We just have the client call the office, give us their credit card and uh, set everything up. All I have to do is go into my medical record system and write what I found. If there's any videos or anything, they can send them by Facebook or they can send them by my phone. So we give them my mobile phone number and I expect them and tell them ahead of time or my staff ahead of time that I want to see all those pictures and videos before we even talk. And then we set up a time to talk. And sometimes this is very rushed because it's an emergency situation, but a lot of times it's like the lump on the horse's head that's been growing for the last three years. And anyway, so we do that and then we can actually prescribe medicine, which we might send. Uh, to them if they need it. 
But I think the vast majority of these end up being animals that come to our clinic. And then the client knows, yeah, I, I can't avoid this. I need to do something. And so they do make the effort to come down. I'm not always right. And sometimes my diagnosis is off the planet. But but the vast majority, people are happy and I'm comfortable. And I always, at the end of anything I say, I always say, never say never. Because I don't want them, uh, you know, this may not be the only thing. And I, we are doing this in a remote distance. And there may be things that I'm going to look at in two seconds when you show up and see that it it's not what we were thinking. But from what I can see, these are my ideas about what's going on. Wonderful. Fascinating. Erica, what is your experience? How are you using telemedicine? I'm a little bit the opposite of Elizabeth, where that most of mine are relatively close to us. We have a population of horses that are a little bit far by our standards, which I call an hour. <laughs> I feel a little bit guilty about saying that after listening to her talk about eight and 12 hours. But, you know, they're clients who same thing. They want to know, do, does this horse actually need to come in? And I think for years and years, we've all done this for free. And so it's trying to transition those clients for us anyways into this being a pay environment. I've had very little pushback from the clients. Uh, more of my pushback has actually been from staff. So a couple of things that we've done is, you know, we've set it up where it's easy for the clients. We did a video on it that we put on our Facebook page on how to do a telemedicine call with your veterinarian. Uh, we had my husband demonstrate improper way of jogging a horse, you know, how not to show pictures of eyes, some of that kind of stuff, the common bad things we get. And then we, you know, we blasted that on Facebook. We put it on our YouTube, all the ways that we could get it to our clientele. I will send it to them if they're signing up just to sign up to be ready to go. Uh, when we're at calls, Routine calls are very proactive. We give them a card for the app that we use and we say, here's the card. You can install it now. And then you don't have to figure out how to do it when it's an emergency and you, you can't even remember the PIN number for your phone. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, you know, really onboarding them so that they're ready when they need it. And then talking to them in those emergency situations the clinic has also been very good about when those phone calls come in, trying to figure out, you know, can we send a picture or a video of this via the app and figure out if we do need to reroute one of our doctors to that call, or is it something that we can manage just over the app itself? Interesting. And uh, what, what platform are you using? Uh, we're using a platform called Medici. Okay. I did pretty extensive research on the available options. One of the things that I like about a separate app for us anyways is that they have to put their credit card in. So they are primed to pay you for it. You know, it's not, they're set up for this is not a free service. Mm -hmm. And that I really appreciated kind of putting them into the right mindset. Uh, the other thing about this particular app is you don't have to charge at any given time. So I can really do a lot or a little, depending on what I feel about that case. And then I can decide when to charge. Right. right so right. like on that emergency potentially coming in, I can look at the wound and I can say, oh yeah, yeah, we need to see that and charge. Or on that wound later, when, you know, they're, they're sending you recheck pictures, I can say, so 
for $65 a week or, you know, whatever charge we decide to put on it, you can send us all the pictures you want for that week. And so it gives us a lot of freedom to use the app however we feel like we need to without having to say, oh, you're getting charged every time you talk to us. Gotcha. Okay, so Chris, how are you using this at the University of Pennsylvania? We use telemedicine or telehealth in a couple of different ways. We use it to consult with veterinarians instead of using it directly with the animal owner. We have a consultations, a veterinarian to veterinarian. And I work in the cardiology and ultrasound service and also in the internal medicine service. So probably the most common scenario would be to assist veterinarian in the field with an ultrasound. And the way that we do this is we connect the ultrasound machine of the veterinarian in the field to the internet and we mirror their screen so we can see it remotely and we can uh, discuss the images real time or help with interpreting the the images real time. Wow, that must be such a, an, an asset to being in the field and having, you know, an, an expert being able to say, go to, you know, go a little bit higher, go a little lower, what have you. That's that's interesting. Uh, and I presume that most types of, you know, modern ultrasounds are able to handle this. Yes, most ultrasound machines will do it as long as it has a video output. You just need the right type of uh, cable to, to then connect it to a computer. And there is an intermediate piece. It's a video capture device. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's a matter of getting the, the right cables. There are machines uh, now, newer machines, these ultra portable machines that will have actually their uh, already embedded Right. But uh, for traditional ultrasound machines, you can connect it to a computer or a tablet. Gotcha. Cool. So are you using a platform? Are you using a commercial platform or how are you connecting with the veterinarians? We are connecting using a standard teleconference uh, software. We are currently using Zoom. Okay, right. Yeah. And then we we use our own medical record systems and our own scheduling system. We we have tried some of the telehealth platforms and some of them uh, seem probably pretty useful for for the right setting, but in our current setting uh this was the best combination. Sure. Yeah, and then the other couple of ways that we use uh telehealth is for teaching mm-hmm. students or to supervise uh residents or interns, and particularly now in COVID times to social distance, let's say that we need less less people in the room. So if we are doing an ultrasound or seeing a, a horse and we want a resident to learn from the case, well, same same thing. We can have them watch what we are scanning, right. ultrasounding remotely or having the other clinician that is in charge of the case also kind of virtually be in the same room, So, but uh, without... Uh, increasing the risk of uh, taking the virus, I guess. Yeah, so it's, it's great safety, but I'm also thinking as even for, uh, you know, private practices that have interns or junior associates, what a great way for them to get comfortable on the road if they're ultrasounding something that maybe they have a problem. They can always call into the, the practice or even to a referral hospital. So that's a fascinating use of telemedicine. Right, exactly, for us to to monitor the more junior personnel or even to monitor the horses, right? There are many tools now that uh, you can have a horse in a stall with a ECG monitor that uh, sure. uh, you can watch from home or you can watch at night if, if the horse has an arrhythmia. So even that, um, just for, for monitoring, it's, it's pretty useful as well. 
Yeah, and I always get the sense that as we're uh, getting into telemedicine, and uh, I think, you know, if we have a conversation a year from now, we'll probably find a whole new ways of using it or ways not to use it. So, which is a great segue to my next question. And Elizabeth, we'll go back to you. And that is, what type of cases do you find telemedicine helpful for? They tend to be kind of like wounds and more chronic things. I think for emergency medicine, it basically, you know, colics, which we see quite a bit over here. It's a phone call, and yes, you need to get it in. Or, you know, for those that can't come, I don't think I'm going to take the time to get to get them set up with telemedicine at that stage. But I will, you know, give them if you're a do-it-yourselfer and this is what you want to try. Because I do live in a in an area where there's a lot of people that just want to try things first. Those things I'm going to give. I have a quick conversation, and then anything further. And we're going to get on the telemedicine. Right. And we have a simple fee. It's, it's not a big deal. And it's, it's much, much less expensive for our clients to do it by telemedicine because it doesn't cost us much. I mean, I'm just sitting on the phone. They like it. They like it a lot. And I think there's, there's two kinds of people. There's people that are reluctant to call you because they don't want to bother you. And I've had over the years, many people say, I'd just like to pay you for your conversation. And, you know, up until now, I said, no, now I'll go, oh, yeah, fine, no problem. And then there's those. And I had one yesterday that wanted some butte, and I hadn't seen the horse for a year. And I said, I am sorry, I can't do that. I don't love you enough to lose my license. And this lady just said, well, then I'm just not going to get any. And I went, okay. Hmm. And that was the way it was. So, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of people that want to abuse us and, and, and those that are genuinely happy and the people that when you say, okay, well, we're going to charge you a fee. They're, they're happy about it because they feel like now they're not just looking for free advice. You know, they have that guilt thing going as we all do. Right. So I want to get into, I want to touch base in a little bit. I'll come back to Erica, but I, and one of the next things I want to ask is, you know, how did you transition to pay? But Erica, I'd like to carry on with you in terms of the type of cases you're seeing in practice and where do you find this helpful? Uh, the most helpful for us has been wounds. You know, how many of us have pictures of wounds on our phones, you know, where they're asking us, does this need to come in? And you're really trying to assess, is it near one of those dreaded synovial structures? Uh, So that's been a huge for one for us. And then rechecks of all kinds of stuff. You know, I thought that I would use it just for kind of wound rechecks. This morning, I saw a horse that they had sent in a post-castration picture. I castrated it a week ago. It had some swelling. I wasn't that excited about it. They sent in another picture. I was way more excited about it, you know, so it it definitely saved me some time when they sent the picture a few days ago. And today I said, no, I I really have to figure out how to go see it. So something along those lines, eyes will use it a little bit, but we've even used it to recheck some of our asthma horses to say, how is that horse breathing? And that in particular was one I didn't think that I would use it for. I was like, I don't know how that's going to work, but I told a client I would try it. And since then, we've been pretty happy with it for that. Interesting. How are you scheduling it? Because, I mean, things show up. Do you have routine time in your clinical hours where I'm saying, hey, I'm Wednesday mornings from 10 till 12, I'm going to do telemedicine cases? Or is it just mainly those spur of a moment things? I have a dream that that will happen. 
<laughs> but exactly. But no, it's uh, it's as it dings on my phone, basically, and then it's just figuring out the the clinic has the way that that Medici works. The clinic can see sort of the main dashboard, and then if if I don't get to it fast enough, they'll they'll grab one of the other vets that may be in clinic at that point to to take a peek at it. Hmm. it it's just for us, kind of getting it when it comes in. The clients do know that if they don't have anything back from us in and they feel it's an emergency within about 15 minutes or so, then they definitely give the clinic a call and they'll track us down and make sure we look at it. But yeah, I, I keep hoping that like the small animal colleagues I've talked to, I can be like Wednesday mornings are telemedicine, but that, that has not worked out the way I had dreamed. (laughs) I know some colleagues in, in, in Ontario where I'm at in Canada and, and like one clinic, they have two vets going a couple of days a week and that's all they do. And it's just every 20, every half an hour, they have a new appointment. I'm like, wow, can't imagine. So I guess my question, if I can ask one back to you. Of course. Are those current clients? Because that's been, you know, for us, I could probably do telemedicine all day long, but I would be violating our practice act. What they're finding is clients that they've had, and they're overwhelmed by how clients have adopted it and that the clients are are driving this. They're also finding that they're getting clients that have moved away from them and who prefer where they were. So they moved to another city. And it's within, you know, it's within the past year. So they still have a valid patient client relationship. I think if small animal, you know, generally it's easier to schedule things when you need it to in terms of like it's easier to grab your cat and say okay at 10 o'clock i'm going to talk to the vet i'll have the cat here and we'll do our examination it's a little bit harder with horses they're explaining that you know they even get the client to sort of walk through a bit of a physical exam they use it for lamenesses or neurological cases or behavior and they said it's even better for behavior than in clinic appointments because the the animal's at home Uh. and so it's acting at home and it's not stress it's not you know hyper or they say well what kind of food instead of them saying when, when they come to the clinic oh i have a blue bag of something and I give it a scoop, they can go, well, show me the bag, show me the scoop. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, in the, when, what they're describing in the companion animal market, you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And they're finding that about 80% of the cases, uh, 60 to 80% of the cases are fine just with the telemedicine consult. Uh, about 20 to 40%, they need to see them when they bring them back in. And, and what they're doing, and one of the questions I ask is, well, how do you charge? You charge for the telemedicine consult. And like you, Erica, they, they use an app because then the client has to pay and that whole discussion about payment is, is taken care of by the app. And what they do is when they have to come into the clinic, well, I mean, they've already done the, the history, the physical, all that. And so they're coming in for diagnostics. And if there is any kind of examination, they don't charge for that, but they're just going to do the diagnostics or what have you. So it's fascinating. We do have a similar setup as far as that goes in that if we do have to see it, then there's a significant discount of that that fee, that telemedicine fee, most of it is discounted off that call if we do have to see them. Right. I, I have a question. Yeah. Are you guys sure that you're going to be able to continue this post-pandemic? One of the things that I've decided was, well, A, I'm retiring, but B, uh, I, I'm not sure whether we'll be able to continue this, so I'm not investing in an app or anything. Although I guess there's some that are fairly inexpensive, but are you sure you're going to be able to continue this post-pandemic? 
for my state, I am sure we were, we've actually been doing this for about a year and a half, uh, just sort of playing with it. The nice thing the pandemic did for us was really force it into top of mind for clients. So in a way, I'm thankful for that. But for my state, which is Florida uh, in the United States, it was already legal the way we were doing it. Yeah. And for the teleconsultation part, it has always been legal as well, because the difference is that the on-site veterinarian retains the VCPR. We never ask VCPR. Right. And well, where I'm at is we've asked the same question, Elizabeth, because we are uh, self-regulating in the province of Ontario and our regulatory board relaxed the rules. And, and that's been the question. And, and kind of what we're thinking here is that, well, the genie's out of the bottle. You're not putting it back in. Clients are really pushing it. They're demanding it. So it's unlikely, but for sure the potential's there, but it's unlikely. And Chris, I just, just to finish off on the scheduling, uh, how, how are you scheduling it? I think they pretty similarly and Dr. Latcher, we wish we could um, schedule these, um, these appointments. And in some cases we do, right? Some veterinarians call and say, tomorrow I have this ultrasound at 11 a.m. Will you connect? And uh, sometimes it works like that, but pretty often it's, uh, oh, I'm just uh, started scanning this, this animal for you. So um, it's both. It's a combination of a schedule and spontaneous connections. It seems like what helps us a lot in our cases is to have a relationship with the veterinarian in the sense that what you were asking about which type of cases we do, I think for us, it's almost uh, dependent on who is the, the person at the other end. And if we know them well, and if they know us well, and if we have already seen cases before, we may do cases that with other people we wouldn't. And obviously, it also for ultrasound specifically may depend on the skill of, it, uh, of the sure. person holding the probe. But in general, we, we tend to say that we are not trying to substitute what we have always done. We are just trying to enhance what we have always done, right? We don't want to substitute referrals for the complex cases that uh, need to be referred. But I think it's a nice addition to you having your toolkit. No, for sure. That's that, that sounds like a great service. I, a couple of years ago, I was hosting a table topic or co-hosting a table topic at the uh, AAP convention and we we're telemedicine came up. We we're talking about uh, technology and apps and what have you. And the big discussion was about paying. How do people pay? And, you know, the room was split. There was a couple of people that were doing telemedicine and some people said, there's no way we can get people to pay for this. Whereas another person said, absolutely, you have to pay for this. So uh, we'll go back to you, Elizabeth. How did you transition your clients who are used to, as you, you started talking about, getting this service, getting your knowledge for free, and now they're having to pay? Well, when they call during business hours, my uh, receptionists are very good at doing that. When they call me at night, because I do answer the phone at night, it's not good. <laughs> I'm not nearly as good as my receptionists. They're very good at getting people to realize that this is not going to be a quick two-minute call. This is going to be a true consultation. And they'll just say, okay, well, let's get you set up. And that, that gets done. And that's very easy. Or the client declines, like yesterday. But right. when I do it, I'm terrible at it. I mean, I'm just, I'm not good at doing it other than, especially if I'm busy or if I'm like a couple nights ago, a client called and I was suturing up a horse at night and I just said, I can't talk to you right now. It's not an emergency. Call back tomorrow. We'll set up a consult. And that, that worked well, but I'm, you know, kind of old and traditional. And so 
I'm used to giving away everything. So I am learning and I'm getting better and I am enjoying it. So I'm going to do it more and more. Cool. And how about you, Erica? How are you doing the transition to pay? I am a little bit guilty of the same thing as Elizabeth, where when it's up to me, <laughs> I'm not as good at it. But Thank you. <laughs> my, well, so one of the things that I have had is that my associates are much better at it than I am. And so then I get into the bad situation of if I do it for free, then the client expects it. And that's not fair to my associates. So sure. I value, you know, having my associates to share on call with me. So that that guilts me into doing it, right? And then the more of it that I can offload onto my clinic staff, as Elizabeth said, they're way better at keeping track of my payment for my time than I am. So uh, for us, it's trying to really divert those calls into the clinic when at all possible so that they, you know, kind of set them up. The other thing is, that by setting them up on those routine calls when we're there for vaccines or, you know, routine stuff and saying, here's the telemedicine app, then they have it. And so they go, oh, I could do this. Then they already have it in top of mind, you know, and it's already on their phone and it's, you know, it's all set up and ready to go for them. So that has also helped us transition them over to it. But I've, I had two staff members that were not on board with it when we initially tried it. And it was basically a no-go for us with those two staff members. With my current staff, everybody is on board. And that has changed the dynamic here completely. It's a whole different ballgame. Right, right, right. Interesting. And, and Chris, how, how does it work with payments and, and transition to pay at the university? So for we are actually currently doing that transition. And we just created recently a telehealth service. So before uh, different clinicians would do, would do consultations separately, and some of them is, is still do. And we just uh, started this telehealth service that will have a specific fees because we launched or we were planning on launching the service at the same time that we went into COVID crisis. We decided, or PEMBET decided that during, during COVID times, we were not going to charge that it was sort of the right. pen-based way to contribute to social distancing and to decrease the the spread of the pandemic. So I have to say for the, for the last couple of months, most of the times we have not been charging unless the veterinarian requested it. And interestingly, some veterinarians have told us, well, you know, this consultation that I'm requesting is not, doesn't have anything to do with COVID. My client is happy to to pay for the assistance I want to pay. Um, and then you you have the the other way around. We have veterinarians that may tell you, I like the feeling that I just have a friend that I call and I don't want to pay for them. We are not in any way trying to substitute courtesy calls, right? We all have friends that call us for advice and sure. give advice because they are friends or in an academic institution. People call us because we are a um, university. That, that, that's a little bit of a harder situation to to navigate but i guess in, in general terms we don't we don't substitute courtesy calls we are we want from courtesy advice but the plan is that there will be a service with a fee schedule for the ones that have been paying we just send them a send a bill and then if the veterinarian tells us if they prefer to pay themselves and then they go and charge the client or if they want us to send the bill to the client their client directly i was just going to say as a veterinarian, kind of in a remote area, now I've in the last eight years of veterinary school has moved in just down the road. But 
I really struggled with getting opinions from higher-ups. A, I didn't want to bother them. Just like my clients that don't want to get free stuff, I I would always like to get uh, second opinions on things without the horse traveling, say, nine hours to the local veterinary school or whatever. And I think I would be personally willing to pay. I can think of a case right now that I would be willing to pay somebody to get an opinion. And I think veterinarian to veterinarian, I mean, why wouldn't we charge for our opinions and why wouldn't we pay for uh, getting opinions? I I don't think we're that special that we can't uh, consider this as a service. Right. No, I, I would, uh, yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just a different type of service. So this, this brings me to another interesting part about the pay. Cause I think this is always the, uh, nobody really wants to bring this up in terms of, I don't really, you know, it's not important, the dollar amount, but let's say compared to your general exam fee, if you're going to just go look at a horse and do an exam, what are you charging for your consult relative to a general exam fee? And we'll continue with you, Elizabeth. My average, like if I just go look at a horse quickly, I'm going to go or it's either going to come here to the clinic or I'm going to go. The minimum is $90. And if I do a teleconference, and even if it's kind of extended, we only charge 75. Right. So now this is Australian dollars. So keep in mind, we're, we're, we're way lower than you guys, but I'm pretty happy with that. And it does, you know, cause it really, most teleconferences are there maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Right, right, sure. And I might be eating my lunch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, you can definitely multitask when you're looking at videos or pictures. Yeah. How about yourself, Erica? We charge the same amount as one of our recheck exams. Okay. But we also have a farm charge, so the client saves that farm charge. For sure. Yeah. And what about you guys at the pen, Chris? How are you guys charging compared to a routine? It is approximately the same fee than when a horse comes to the clinic, but the difference is that, for example, for ultrasound, when a horse comes to the clinic, well, there is an admission fee, an exam fee, and an ultrasound fee. And the, when we do it remotely, we only charge an ultrasound fee. The, the other difference is because the, the goal of our telehealth service is to, to be a worldwide service. We, we try that for now, uh, sort of average the, the typical price for exams in different areas of the country. Let's say that. Uh, some areas of the country seem to have higher fees and other lowers. We try to, to stay in the middle, but it's it's an interesting question because before we launched this service, we did a a few of these exams. I think it was about approximately twenty five that we and then we compared how long it would take us to do on site versus how long it would take uh, to do it remotely. So we had a person scanning on site and then another person helping another remotely. It takes longer to do it remotely than to do it on site. But on the other hand, you don't use equipment, so I, I guess you don't you don't have the expense of the ultrasound machine. So uh, we we sure. those two things yeah. kind of offset one another and decided that approximately the same the same than when we would charge in person. Interesting. So just as a frame of reference, as I said, when I go back to the companion animal vets I've talked to, they charge their routine exam fee, whether it's in the clinic or by phone, because, you know, I think what what they've agreed upon, and I would tend to agree with them, is that they're all we're doing as vets is selling our knowledge. And whether we're doing it on site or at home on a monitor, it you know, the knowledge is the same. So I don't think there's the right answer. I think it, there's anybody can argue it either way. Last question, and uh, we'll keep on going west to east, and that is, 
any cautionary tales or any pearls of wisdom that you just like to share as a, as a final thought. So Elizabeth, we'll go back to you again, please. Well, the last one that ended up coming to the clinic, it was a horse that wasn't eating and it hadn't been eating for a week. And I always alarmed when horses don't eat. The guy went through great lengths to do a physical exam and explain everything to me, what was going on. And so eventually I said, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It could be, um, we have a lot of nephrosplenic ligament entrapments. I said, might be that, might be this, might be that. Anyway, long short, he's finally brought the horse over and he brought it to me and he passed the veterinary school because I was willing to talk to the guy. So that was a good thing. The vet school is really a good vet school and their equipment and everything there is very, very nice. But I was just willing to talk to this guy. I was so wrong on my diagnosis. It was an <laughs> abscess. And the horse came and literally it was with me for a day. You can't believe all the diagnostics I did. And then the next, I said, leave it with me. I just, I'm just not sure what's going on. CBCs, everything's good. And the next morning I just felt behind the jaw and I, I swear I'd felt it the day before. And there was a soft swelling. I went and I stuck a needle in it. And bingo, we, a huge abscess. And the horse never had a fever. CBC's normal, everything. Yes. As soon as we relieve that, the horse started eating. Mm. So you can try everything and do everything, but sometimes you're just telling medicine isn't going to cut it. Sure, sure, for sure. How about you, Erica? That's a good story. How about you, Erica? You know, basically that's my my same concept is that I I can do a lot of things on it, but I caution owners that it may not be the end-all be-all, and this may be what we're trying, and we're going to see if we can get it done this way. But we may end up having to see the horse and this may not, you know, this may not be the the end answer. And I think the other thing for me is that we're the ones that seem to be worried much more about how much this is going to cost and how it's going to get paid for. The clients are more than willing in my experience so far to do this. So I think if we give them a chance, they're going to give us money. Sure. And and lastly, uh, Chris, any uh, pearls of wisdom or cautionary tales you'd want to share? Yeah, the, the main thing that I would say is uh, I wouldn't think about telemedicine as substituting anything that we are that we are doing, but I would think about increasing or enhancing what uh, what we are doing. The other thing is that I think we will all need to learn to say we cannot do this remotely because there are obviously parts that uh, you cannot do remotely, right? The physical exam, mm-hmm. it's limited and even the the whole situation, right? The, the conversation with the owner may be a little bit different, uh, etc. And the other thing that from the standpoint of the profession, perhaps we need to think as a professional uh, how we want to approach it, right? As a group, like from, from the standpoint of what we want to do, like when, and uh, we are all scientists, right? So we, we think about science when we decide how we treat animals and what we give them, perhaps we need to, to think about this in a similar way, right? How about we do controlled trials and sure. decide yeah. which uh, indications telemedicine is good and for what telemedicine it's bad. Perhaps we will learn that uh, this particular disease or this particular presenting complaint, telemedicine is excellent. And for that particular presenting complaint, it's just not uh, uh, as good as doing, uh, as doing it in person. 
I think that is the perfect thought to end on. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I'd like to thank the three of you. I, I know it's very early in the morning for you, Elizabeth, uh, compared to the three of us on the East Coast of, of North America. So I really appreciate you all taking the time. And this is some great advice, wisdom, because I know a lot of our, our colleagues are wondering about equine telemedicine. And I think we'll either give them a, a jumping off spot or let's maybe wait a little bit more and, until we figure things out a bit more clearly. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org.